It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. And again, yes, it is Farmer Friday. If you'd like to call in, our phone lines will be open all throughout the show, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We are going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Been getting a lot of questions in. Again, if you have a question, you can call us or email us. It's a lot of fun for us seeing all the different questions we have. And I often tell people it makes me a better agronomist because um, it's not just my little area where I farm or anything else. I mean, Darren and I for well many, many years now have worked with farmers all across the United States and up into Canada and and a number of other countries as well. So we get a, a wide variety of questions here on the show, and we appreciate that. We'll try to do the best we can to get to your question as quick as possible. And uh, let's do that Egg PhD mailbag right now. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first of all, i got a little thank you here from Glenn. He said thanks to you guys and uh, for your videos that you're putting out there and your content. Also, thanks to all the farmers. May God bless you and all of your families. Hey, thanks, Glenn. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we do appreciate all the farmers out there, too. We we like to eat, and, and we like to have clothing, and that's kind of a nice way to get that as agriculture is providing all those things, and we've got a lot of farm families doing that, too. Thanks for recognizing that, Glenn. Uh, I get this one from Jason up in Alberta, and he said, guys, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, there's a governor or a government researcher uh, that recently retired, and he was with Alberta Agriculture. He wrote about soil sampling and told farmers not to do a complete analysis. Uh, it's tough to raise high-yielding crops when officials like this keep fighting against what's working. Uh, thanks, Jason. We appreciate that comment. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of information out there about, oh, micronutrients aren't important and all these things. They're essential elements to crop production, essential elements to plant growth, and essential for our human bodies, too. So to, to say they aren't important is such a horrible message to put out there. Now, to say they're of less importance in terms of how many pounds you need than N, P, and K and sulfur, absolutely. No question about that. We don't need a lot of them, but we definitely need them. All right, uh, this one comes from Rob, and he said, I'm new to the farming game, and I'm wondering about using leaves for extra fertilizer. Right now, I've got a local cattle farmer spreading and working in manure for us. I'm just looking at something more green and a possible way to use leaves from the trees to help the soil sure. and possibly make a new business for us. What do you guys think of that? Sure. Yep. Sounds great. They're just very low in fertility. I mean, well, it, it, here's the, the problem. Just like well, every problem, other thing here, you're going to spread in your field, you've got to sample and right. find out what is in them. Yeah. And as I say very low in fertility, let me back up for a second. It would take a tremendous amount of leaves to get you a lot of fertility. So, yeah, you, you just have to look at it as how much per ton is there for each and every nutrient that you need, and then you go from there. All right, got this one from Hugh. He said you guys are talking about variable rate fertilizer. Uh, I'll just kind of make the best of his comments here. Basically, Hugh thinks variable rate fertilizer is okay. He just doesn't want to be legislated into having to do it. Totally agree with you, Hugh. Uh, I like that farmers have a choice of how they want to farm and how they want yep. to do things. I yep. think that's the best thing about our country or one it, of the greatest things. It is. It's just we have to be responsible with that. And if we don't know how to read the soil test and we're not 
the ones in charge of putting the fertilizer on the ground, then you can see where this thing can go awry. So that's why we spend so much time talking about fertility education here on the show, because we want it done right, because we don't want to be forced into these different things. So yeah, I, I, I we agree with you 100%. It's just, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that don't understand many of these nutrients, and they're putting millions of dollars of nutrients out and causing problems. So that's got to get changed. I right, got this one from Adam in South Dakota, and he said, uh, guys, other than when the ground is frozen, uh, is there something I need to watch out for when I'm doing soil compaction testing? Is there a best time of the year to use a compaction tester? It seems like when I go out there, there are spots where there's resistance, and I can get through until about the three to four inch mark, and this tells me we may need to run a spring field cultivator pass. Okay, so... Just think about it logically for a second. When would be the best time to test? Well, all we really care about, because we don't care about numbers. We don't care about what our probe says or us walking in the field. All we care about is our crop and our crop's roots. So if your crop roots at some point are having a problem penetrating through those hard pans, that's the issue and that's what you want to, to determine. So you got to look at, after you plant that crop, in a in very short order, you should have crop roots that are two or three feet deep. And I don't care what crop we're talking about, but you should have roots going deep really fast. So, I, I mean, literally two or three weeks after you have planted your crop, you should probably start digging around out there, see how deep those roots are, and see what, what you're ending up with for compaction. Now, when you say run a field cultivator pass, let's keep in mind, most tillage, all it does is lowers the level of the hard pan. So if you till at five inches uh, to break up the hard pan at three or four inches, well, you're all just moving down that, you're moving that hard pan down to five inches. Now you aren't in year one. Okay. It's going to seem soft in year one, but a lot of times what happens is by year two, it will create a problem. And sometimes even in year one, it's got a problem. So you settle out those fines and you push that down. And it depends on the tillage tool you're doing, because like I say, right away, even in year one, you could possibly create that hard pan at a level you don't want. So you got to be real careful about what you're doing for tillage. I'll also say, let's look at the flip side. There are a lot of people that say, well, you shouldn't do any tillage. Use cover crops and things like that. That's going to solve your compaction problem. We never found that to be true at all. Um, we believe in the combination of a lot of different things. So very often in agriculture, you find people swinging hard one way or hard the other way. We're usually looking at how can we meld all these things together, take what works best out of organic and out of, uh, you know, using herbicides and all that kind of stuff. What can we take best out of no-till and out of conventional till? Where do these things fit? Where do they don't? But it's totally up to you, however you want to handle it. All we're saying is your, your big issue with compaction has to deal with the roots. You've got to look at as soon as those roots are hitting that hard pan, that's when you got to know and that's when you got to make sure that it's corrected as much as it can be. We'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. 
Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Conditioning low-moisture beans to 13% can add semi-loads to your bottom line. And with our 13 for 13 year-end special, make 13% beans possible with 13% off an end-zone bin system. Use promo code 13for13 at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's start down in Nebraska. we got Shane with us right now. Shane, you catching snow down there today? Well, not yet, but we're we're battening down the hatches because we're supposed to get it here in a couple hours. So we're trying to get everything wrapped up and in sheds and, and away. We had the same feeling uh, on our farm yesterday. Everybody was kind of hustling to get all the outside things done, and we've got a nice little blanket of white out there, so I'm glad I'm glad we did that. Did you get everything done in the field you wanted this fall? Well, we're still working on anhydrous uh, down here and uh, doing some deep tillage uh, for fall tillage. And, uh, but other than that, you know, we're pretty well wrapping up here. Did you have a good crop? I, all I heard all summer was, oh, man, Nebraska's got a crop coming. <laughs> we did we were we were uh lucky we caught rain at all the right times and and we were quite a ways above average on beans and and higher average on corn so we we were really pleased with what we had awesome awesome yeah that's that's so good to do that every now and again especially at a year where the crop prices are good so that helps uh, heal up some of the wounds <laughs> from the past years that have been a little tougher yeah exactly and and so yeah we're feeling really blessed down here all right, so as you get towards year end, I know a lot of farms right now are, are talking about, well, do I prepay things? And, boy, the supply issues have been a challenge. What are you hearing down in your area? Yep, yep. Uh, we're very prepaid, probably not as much as on, on anhydrous as what we should have. And, uh, you know, the prices here are, are really, really high, and so I wish we'd have done more of that. And um, You know, I think our seed costs are going to be comparable to years past, and and our supply of chemicals sounds like it's going to be okay. I, I think we'll we'll be okay with what we've prepaid for and, and get what products we want. So it seems like so far anyway. Yeah, I think that's the general sentiment. There's been a lot of 
been a lot of nervousness out there, but it sounds like, okay, it's it's going to work out. It may just not be exactly how we want or, or definitely at the price that we want, no doubt about it. I know what you're talking about with the anhydrous. I was just talking to a friend of mine, and he goes, man, can you believe what they want to charge me now for anything extra that I buy? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can. I'm hearing the same thing of a, a dollar a unit or even a little bit more on any of the the spring stuff that guys are trying to book. So, yeah, it's uh, it's not cheap. Yeah, I, I'm starting to wonder how many more acres of corn are going to become bean acres here this next year. But um, I know we'll, we might make a switch on some of our acres like that. But we'll see. We'll see what spring brings. You bet. Well, Shane, thank you so much. Really appreciate taking your time uh, here today. And good luck to you as that snow comes. Hopefully, hopefully it goes easy on you. Yeah. Hey, I got a quick question for oh, you. Oh, sure. Here, Go ahead, if Shane. You got time. Sure. Um, we got a couple cornfields that. Uh, uh, kind of our later harvest stuff that has some pennycrest and henbit coming through. Sure. I was curious, is it too late now to, to spray for some of that, or would we be better off, you know, running some tillage, um, you know, maybe doing our, our ripper on that as well, or, or what do you guys well, think? Tillage is 100% effective controlling those weeds, so I, I know that option will work for sure. Well, <laughs> as you say that, though, you got to make sure the tillage is aggressive enough because sometimes we have guys doing really, really light tillage, and then that doesn't completely kill the weed. But anyway, I, I, I would just say, Shane, it's December now, and the odds of killing anything with a herbicide now, it's possible. But we're getting pretty late. I, I, I mean, I don't think that I would spend the money now on a herbicide. I think because I think what's going to happen here with some of these cold temps is you're going to have the, the plant shutting down up above and it's not going to translocate the herbicide down into the root very well. Top growth is going to die off no matter what. I mean, that's just the way it is with some of these winter annual weeds. It's just that that root, um, it, it's it's still going to end up surviving in the stuff below ground. So I, if it's me, I'm probably just going to save my money till spring. But then I would keep in mind, hey, if you aren't able to do a very good job controlling it in the spring, which oftentimes it gets a little questionable, I'd just say in the future, try to get your spraying done in you know October, November, soon after harvest, and then you'll have much sure. better success. Yeah. So I, I think I'd save the money if I was you. You could try it if you want. I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt to try a few acres. Sure, sure. Well, hey, I appreciate your time and your expertise, guys. You bet. You bet. Oh, hey, lot, let me let me throw one other thing out there, Shane. Yeah. So the one thing that I would consider try. So a lot of times with those winter annuals, like you mentioned, we'll go out with some Banvale or two four D or something in the fall, and and we'll wipe them out, and then they're they're gone by spring. Uh, but some guys have gone out with like a fall valor or you know some some other herbicide that's more residual or as much residual as it is contact that's not a bad idea either you could put some of your spring residual herbicides on right now so then they start working earlier and then hopefully they're able to knock those things out so that that would be something i might consider trying but yeah it's getting late you got to do it quick cuz that ground's going to freeze soon yeah, I was going to say we're going to we're going to be frosty here in a, in a couple of weeks, I think. So. Yeah, yep, for sure. So, all right, good luck right. down well, there, thanks, Shane. Guys. You bet. We'll see you. You too. Bye. Let's head out to Oregon. We got Bill on with us right now. Bill, how are you today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I appreciate uh, the opportunity. You bet. You bet. All right, talk to us about uh, what you got growing around your land. If it's not crop growth in your part of the country, I'm going to guess we're talking about some uh, some grasses and, and different things. 
we grow we're growing a combination of uh, of ryegrass annual ryegrass and uh, clover and then we we're doing a lot of different things with our pastures trying to to um, get a little better mix in there so we've gone way out of the box in a lot of uh, with a lot of forages where we've used stuff like Ethiopian cabbage we've used uh, we're using a, a, a clover that's just been developed here in the last four or five years here in Oregon and it's it's uh, you know I'm told by uh, Oregon State the guys there and the forage guys there that it's it's been developed some other places in the world but it's called Balanza clover and it's a um, it's a broad, really large leaf clover that is very drought tolerant and very uh, good in low pH soils and also very good wet footed. So um, in our country, being on the west side of the Cascades, it, you know traditionally uh, we get uh, a lot of uh, a lot more moisture than uh, than a lot of other places do. Uh, unfortunately, that's not been the case in the last in 2021 but um but it it so the the, the combination then we use another um a, a boston plantain that is um it, it seems to have a, a tremendous synergy with um with the clover and uh and then the ryegrass mixed with it um so we're we're trying to get out of the box in some places so we we do a we have a uh we're a direct marketing uh, beef and lamb to um, to markets in Portland and and up and down the Willamette Valley and and so we're grazing a lot of animals to finish and so we're looking to to do um, you know varieties that are going to uh, have the right nutritional uh, combination and uh, and that will um, you know you say they're grass fed they're really that's kind of a misnomer. They're actually forage-based, forage-fed, but um, but you need forages that will actually get them fat, and uh, and so we're we're uh, we're trying to um, to that's that's what we're working towards. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I think there's so many. We were talking about this just a little bit ago. There's so many different ways to farm and raise livestock, and uh, focusing on that uh, con- nutritional content and obviously flavor and and just what your customer is looking for. That is uh, so good, and that's what's going forward in agriculture right now. Kudos to you, Bill. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing a little bit about what you're doing. I know it's not easy where you're farming either. It's it's a challenging environment with acidic soils and and just the weather patterns that come through there. But uh, that's super cool. Good luck to you, Bill. I bet uh, you're gonna have an exciting holiday season coming up. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, we we're getting our our uh, our meat orders for Christmas or. Are uh, are just crazy. People calling all the time, and we're doing we're doing commercial orders, but we're also taking individual orders, and and uh, uh, so it's people will call us up. Oh, can you get us a prime rib roast this year? And yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> oh, and not and not just a prime rib roast, a prime rib roast with a great story to tell about. Hey, here's how those animals are cared for and raised. Uh, that that is so cool. Hey, Bill, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, and happy holidays to you as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Looking to upgrade your productivity now and take control of your cash flow next season? Check out Can Do Financing on Case IH Tractors and Hay Tools today. 
Discover amazing rates on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, save on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Make this season your most productive yet. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near-zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. But what's right for your farm? That's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products. We want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to helping you understand soils and making your own fertility recommendations, and much more. There's great information here that we want to share with you. So to learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it all with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. And we're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Iowa. we got Nick with us right now. Nick, how are you doing? Hey, pretty good. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we are just uh, being covered in a blanket of white snow outside. How about you? Is the snow hitting you guys yet? Uh, it flurried a little bit, but uh, we're getting freezing rain right now. Oh, I don't. I don't know if I'd choose that over the over the snow. I think it might just take snow a little more predictable. Yep, exactly. All right, talk to us about about your crop. I know uh, you do a lot of high tech things. I guess by a lot of farm standards. And uh, just wondering how twenty twenty one played out, and and how you're able to use precision ag to to try and push your crop forward. Yeah, so you know, twenty twenty one was a pretty interesting year. Um, you know, we had some uh, really good good yields um you know probably better than what we've had in the past um by far 
but uh, you know, really kind of focused in on a lot of the agronomy this year and uh, working on some, uh, you know, different microbial things and and uh, really trying to utilize that dairy manure that we are uh, so blessed with down here. So. Yeah, we've got dairy manure on our farm as well, and you're right. It can certainly be a blessing, but it isn't always a blessing. I mean, if you don't use it just right. So uh, kudos to you for for working on that one. You mentioned the microbials too. What do you find when you've got manure going out on farms? You know, a lot of farmers will say, well, we got microbials in the manure, but but I'm sure you're talking about adding some other microbials as well. Yeah, so yeah, so we... uh we used some products uh, from uh, BW Fusion this year to help kind of spike that microbial life and get it back up and working again. Um, that way, we you know we were able to break down a lot of those nutrients that were just kind of getting bound up uh, in the manure and you know not converting from the uh, organic form. Um, and so, yes, we really had a lot of a lot of success there, and, and really looking forward to, to next year and what we're able what we think we might be able to do. That's really cool. Uh, when you think about some of the different things out in the field, you mentioned getting more nutrient availability. What did you see in terms of your crop this year as far as, as yield and performance with all these variable uh, climate issues going on out there? Lots and lots of heat early in the season and uh, spotty rainfall throughout the year. Uh, how'd you turn out for the season? You know, um, I'd say we, we really had a decent year. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, we were over a 200 average on corn, uh, which is awesome for our farm and our and the, the, the ground that we deal with here um, was was is a struggle to get there most years. Um, and then, uh, but on soybeans, uh, man, we really had a bang up year on soybeans. We I think we ended up right at 75 bushel average wow. on the farm. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you're right. You got some tough ground in your part of the state that. Uh, that that is not common. So so that's fantastic. That's really fun. Did you notice any? Did you pull any soil samples this fall? I'm just kind of curious. What did you notice after that big crop? Is there still more fertility left, or were you able to draw down a lot of that dairy fertility so you could put some more out? Um, you know, there's still plenty of dairy fertility left out there, and uh, you know, as with dairy cows, you know they. They, uh, there's a couple of things they never quit doing and one of them's eaten and the other one, you know, we all know what that is. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> you know, they, uh, we, we were able to even, you know, replenish that even if we had used it, we put enough back out there again to, uh, to, um, to cap, you know, to more than, more than satisfy the need for next year. Well, what a blessing because fertility prices are crazy right now. You're you're right. Working together with livestock operations is just just an awesome way to go in farming. Hey, Nick, thank you so much. Yep. Really appreciate having you on. Appreciate hearing a little bit about what's going on there. And and uh, awesome, awesome to hear such great soybean yields. That's fantastic. Yep, yep. Well, thank you for having me, and we'll look forward to talking to you guys in the future. You bet. Thanks, Nick. See ya. Got Jim on with us right now over in Wisconsin. All right, Jim, uh, maple syrup. I had some pancakes this week, and I was thinking, I am so appreciative of maple syrup production. What did production look like this year? Is it is it going to be a good year where we've got plentiful supplies? Well, um, production uh, this last season, the spring of 2020 here, we, we saw probably in the Midwest here 85 to 90% of a crop. Uh, roughly is what we were looking at. Uh, low low tree sugar, um, you know, helped contribute to that yield being low. Uh, we were kind of fortunate here in the Midwest. Yields were pretty good as we went farther east. Uh, there was a lot of spots that the yield was not as good. So 
you know, overall uh, U.S. wide and Canada wide, um, you know, cropped it definitely down off the average quite a quite a fair ways actually this year. So. All right, so you're telling me to stock up. All right, we won't run short. I promise you of that because uh, my kids like pancakes now and again, so that that's a good thing. Hey, uh, let me ask you about this. So you said low tree sugar. So what does it take? Just a good growing season, or is there something special? Well, if I could if I could tell you that, I would probably answer the, the million dollar question for a lot of people. There are a lot of factors that influence uh, sugar. Um, you know, the amount of photosynthesis that the tree can conduct throughout the throughout the summer months, which is uh, then converting that uh, photosynthesis into starch, which is stored down in the root system. So good growing season, uh, a cold winter can usually bring up high sugars, um, you know, moisture level. I mean, there's there's so many variables that play into sugar production, but like I say, growing season, uh, temperatures, uh, cool winter, cold winter, you know, those are the primary contributing factors to that sugar content being where it is. So. How do you market the the maple syrup? Just out of curiosity, if you don't mind my asking, is it something you're marketing direct, or or are there big buyers uh, like there are for milk that that would take sugar or or maple syrup, I guess, from lots and lots of different growers? Yeah, so there are a, a couple different ways. We're a certified organic uh, sugar bush, and we have one co-op in Wisconsin, which is Maple Valley Co-op, which is a cooperative just for sugar makers that buys and and repacks the syrup under the Maple Valley label. There are also some other repackers in the area that buy syrup for repacking for, for further on distribution. So we do a variety of things. We, we do some direct marketing. Uh, we are at some grocery stores, convenience stores, and then we do sell some bulk syrup to the co-op as well. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I, I, I love hearing about different crops that, that farmers can raise. How did you get into the maple syrup business? Well, it started back in the, back in the eighties when I was a kid, it started out as an FFA project and, and just kind of kind of stuck from there. We started out with just 25 taps, and and we made our way up to uh, we just have a little over 10,000 taps at the present time, and then we uh, process sap out of another five or six thousand taps that come into our facility. So we process about 15,000 taps. Uh, we make between five and seven thousand gallons of maple syrup per year, a finished product per year, depending on the crop year. So wow, that that is amazing. It sounds like a lot of work, though, Jim. It is, and this white stuff that's coming down doesn't help at all because we get to walk through this in the spring. So, <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I, I don't know exactly what it takes to make more maple syrup and make a, a great content of sugar in those trees, but hopefully you catch more of that going into the next year and, and we can get supplies back up. Uh, Jim, really appreciate hearing a little about your story. Good luck to you here, and Merry Christmas. Yeah, thank you. Brian had a message come in here from w uh, who said uh, just wanted to let you know i really appreciated your talk about cover crops you had recently covered all the main points uh, really appreciated that i had another cover crop comment that came in from robert and he said here in the south we used to use hairy vetch as a green manure crop but what you guys didn't realize is there was going to be hard seed that wouldn't germinate right when they thought it would. And they had some hairy vetch coming up in future crops as well that was difficult to control. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean there, Robert. Sometimes the unintended consequences uh, can be a little bit challenging with, with some of these different things that were changing out on the farm. Uh, Jan asked a question. She said, I'm, I'm curious, not a farmer here, but wondering how many acres does it take to uh, need a tractor and how many acres would one tractor be able to cover? Boy, that's a really broad question, Jan. Um, 
You know, I, I don't know a whole lot of farmers that are doing a majority of their work uh, manually and not utilizing tractors in some way, shape, or form, even if it's just to haul vegetables that they've picked up. But uh, when we talk about tillage, and you were commenting after watching uh, something we had put out on fall tillage, uh, tractors can cover quite a few acres. I mean, we could hook one tillage tool up on our farm, and we farm about 3,000 acres, and, and that tractor could cover all that ground in one fall pretty easy and and maybe even be used to help somebody else too so they can cover quite a few acres i, I think it all depends on the size of the tractor and the size of the implement that the tractor is going to pull behind it hey thanks for the question thanks for watching our show we really appreciate that it's farmer friday on ag phd radio and we'll be right back after this Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Winter is here, and that means it's the perfect time to improve your farming operation by attending Ag PhD's winter workshops and clinics. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting a bunch of free workshops throughout January and February, with each event focusing on different subjects that all help you make more money on the farm. On January 11th, we start off with a wheat agronomy workshop, followed by two days dedicated to understanding soils and cutting fertilizer expenses. Then on Monday, January 31st, we're dedicating a whole day to drainage and the benefits of tile, followed by our corn agronomy workshop on February 1st. Finally, we'll be discussing soybean agronomy on February 15th, with the next day fully devoted to learning about one of the newest developments in increasing yields across the country, natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information on how to improve your farm, and we can't wait to share it with you. Best of all, all these events are free, so be sure to check them out. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, broadcasting from the Morton studio safely inside and out of the snow that's falling uh, just outside the building here. All right, we got an email that came in, and I was just scrolling through and, and looking at some soil tests here. This came from Jacob down in Nebraska, and he said, Could you please take a look at my field and let me know what you think with fertility recommendations here and what, what you might address first in this field? Brian, so uh, I don't know if you got a chance to look through. There's, yeah, I did. Here, here's, there's only 30 pages here, Brian. Yeah, so. I know, and here here's the whole thing. We get, we get this question all the time, and we appreciate this question. It's great. But let's see, how many total samples did he have? I, I like, 161. Yeah, and I, okay. lo- I love this because I just looked at soil pH. The minimum was 4.9. The maximum was 7.9. I thought, right. we've got fields like that, too, that we've picked up that uh, have got a wide variance. And then the average is 5.6. And here's why we like grid soil samples, in my mind, because I look at that, and if I would have pulled it in— The average is 6.3. Or if I would have—I'm sorry, yeah. average is 6.3. It, I, if I would have pulled that sample just in one spot, I, I might say, well, I've got a high one or a low one. And if right. I would have averaged all of them or dumped it in one bucket, I would have had a 6.3, and I thought I'd be right in the money where I want to be. So anyway, the question was, how do we manage this field? But what it amounts to is, how do we manage each individual zone, that? So and we have 161 of them? And I'm serious. We're going to manage it 161 different ways. Now, it really won't amount to 161 different ways because I'm sure there are some grid points or some zones that are similar to others. But the point is, if we've got a pH, like Darren said, a minimum of 4.9, well, <laughs> at a 4.9, you're getting killed on yield because the pH is too low. But on the other hand, at a 6.3 all the way up to a 7.9, there's no possible chance I want to do any liming in that ground. Right, right. Well, you see, base saturation calcium is anywhere from 39 to 85. So on the 39, putting lime on, I'm going to bet a lot of those line up with where we've got low pH. And then where we've got uh, 85% calcium, I'm going to bet those are probably the higher pH spots. Right. So it stinks that fertilizer is this high priced. When I look at things like 1.8% base saturation K in some spots in the field on the low end, because that's for sure limiting your yield. And I really want it above four. And like on our farm, because I, I know this grower and I know this agronomist and they aren't going for average yields. Okay. They aren't even going for above average yields. They're going for really good yields and 4% base saturation K is what we usually talk about as kind of a bare minimum. Um, Like in our farm where we're going for the really good yields, we want 7% base saturation K. So that's where I come back to. It's it's a shame that fertilizer is this high priced. Last fall, we loaded up, I mean, almost every field that was still short from the 7% base saturation K that we needed. So now we're in good shape for a long time and all we need is maintenance. But that's not the case in this field here, I assume. So anyway, how would I handle this? How would I manage this field? I'm going to look at each individual area and I'm going to say, all right, what do I need? And I'm going to go through like 1 through 12 on my list and I'm going to start with phosphorus. Uh, uh, you know, on this test after I look at that that soil pH to say the phosphorus levels are pretty low. Even the average, I mean, it's it's okay. It's not terrible. You're at about 60. Um, but again, for a really high yield, it's it's not enough. You, you got to get that up a little bit more. Um, there were there were three things where I said, okay, in just about all areas, we got a problem. One is sulfur. The highest level that we saw with sulfur was 21 parts per million. That's not going to cut it. 
for any crop that this farmer's raising, high yield corn, high yield soybeans, we know we need sulfur out there on every single acre. And we know we need boron in every single acre because the very highest that he had in all 161 spots was 1.3 for parts per million. Uh, and then the third nutrient that I would say is it really, I, I, I want to come back to that K. Not every single spot in the field needs it, but a lot of spots are going to need it. So that I, I guess, I don't know if that fully answers the question or anything else, but let's talk about a couple of really good things that I saw on this soil test just in general. One was soil organic matter. The soil organic matter averages 4%. 4%. That's pretty good, especially for Nebraska. There are a lot of farmers who, in Nebraska who would go, wow, I'd love to have that kind of soil. And speaking of the soil, the lowest CEC we saw was 17. So that means, and 17 we'd call kind of on the high end of medium. We usually say once you get to 20 CEC, that's heavy ground. So my point here is we've got pretty good ground with pretty decent organic matter levels. I can see why the farmer is doing well. He's successful. He's raising pretty good yields now. But there are just some of these things that we got to get addressed. Oh, one last thing that I'll throw out there. I don't know how fall moisture has been, uh, but this sample date says September 17th. As of September 17th, there were still a lot of areas that hadn't had much rain in a long time. Now, I'm assuming this is irrigated ground. If it's not, let, let's just say, though, that it wasn't irrigated ground. And so for any of our listeners here, if you have non-irrigated ground that's been really, really dry and you soil test it, a lot of times that soil pH is going to look just a hair low. We usually say 0.2 to maybe 0.5 low. So what I'm saying is a lot of times we'll go, you know, we're going to cut her off at 6.3. So anything below 6.3, we're for sure not touching with lime. Well, this fall, like on our farm where we really dry, I said, look, if it's below 5.8, I'm not going to lime it because I can't trust that that soil pH number is actually right. So anyway, just that I, that's the other thing I'd throw out. Darren, was there anything else that stood out to you or any other questions that came along with that or anything else you think we need to address? I don't think so. I think I think you kind of hit the high points there. But, yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of variability out there, and that makes a little bit of, cha of a challenge. I definitely would do variable rate application with almost everything I'm going to do in that field. Oh, hey, uh, there there was one thing that I was missing, and I, I don't think I saw this on there. Sodium. Did you see sodium levels at all on there? Nope. Okay. The reason why I bring that up is that can be something that we do want some level of sodium for certain crops, like a half a half a percent on the base saturation test. Just a little bit of sodium uh, sometimes help, especially helps, especially if we're dealing with livestock or anything that's going to get grazed or, or something like that. But my point here is, if we aren't monitoring our sodium levels to some degree, then it, it's it does happen. And even just irrigated ground that's somewhat well-drained, sometimes our, our sodium levels can get high, and that starts to hurt yield also. So without having a sodium reading, I don't know. Maybe everything is just fine. But whenever I see fairly heavy ground and I don't have a sodium reading, I, I just usually ask the farmer, hey, in the future, can you get a sodium test for me? I'd like to see that. So we, we catch the problem before it gets bad. Because usually where Darren and I get the questions about sodium levels are once they're 5% or higher. Well, if you would have caught it when it was 1% or 2 or 3%, now you haven't hurt yield a whole lot, and it's still pretty easy to fix. But I was... <laughs> 
I, I, I was talking on the radio yesterday about this training we'd done with agronomists for a couple of days, and I showed these agronomists a sodic soil test, and it was 33% sodium. I said 33% sodium. Here's my honest advice. If I saw that on my soil test, I said I'd put it up for auction tomorrow and try to get as much money out of it as I could, and I'd get out of that as fast as possible. Because I said, I just told the agronomist, look, I'm 53 years old. I plan to live to 100. But in the next 47 years, I probably still wouldn't have that 33% sodium field fixed. It's going to take that long, that much pain, that much money. It uh, Just sell the ground and have it over with. So my point here is catch your sodium before it becomes a problem, definitely before it hits 5%, and then you can solve the problem without spending an absolute fortune and having pain for 47 years. All right, thanks for the questions, uh, Brian. Got a plant tissue test and then got a, a just mainly a question about it overall. This is from Mitch down in Australia. He said, take a look at my corn. First of all, Mitch, your corn looks amazing. I'm very jealous. I wish we had V7 corn now instead of snow outside. Uh, he said, this is the first ever tissue test we've taken. And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts. We're thinking this is going to help us amend next season's fertility plan. We don't think the desired levels for each nutrient are worth very much because they don't tell us what our yield goal is for getting uh, out of those nutrients. And then lastly, just curious, uh, our goal is to build data over years and compare that uh, down the road. Is that how you look at tissue tests too? We can talk about that a little bit. Uh, plant tissue tests are kind of a fun change of pace versus talking about winter coming here. Oh, and by the way, Mitch says La Nina is now official in Australia. We'll be right back after this. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Purchase your dream tractor and save your cash with can-do financing from Case IH. Save on the remarkably versatile Farmall, premium comfort Vestrum, and versatile workhorse Maxim tractors. Plus, discover amazing rates on high-capacity round balers and disc mower conditioners. Upgrade your equipment now and keep your cash flow strong next season. What can you do to build a better wheat crop? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, January 11th, we're holding a free Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll be discussing how you can make your wheat crop more profitable by going in-depth on topics such as crop protection programs, seed treatment options, fertility requirements, and ways you can make your crop more resistant to stresses like drought and disease. We'll be covering all this and more, so don't miss the Ag PhD Wheat Agronomy Workshop. Sign up today at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and soybeans, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There is a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. All right, just before the break here on Ag PhD Radio's Farmer Friday show, we were reading an email from Mitch down in Australia. He said he has V7 corn, which, by the way, he sent a picture and it looks fantastic. Uh, and Mitch said, just just curious on a few things about how you're using tissue test data. And also, uh, he said, we, we have really high levels in our tissue test, but we had side-dressed about 10 days ago with 100 units of N and well, 100 kilograms of ammonium sulfate per hectare. Yeah, but also, this is at V7. We often see everything being high at V7. Keep going. Because that's usually when stuff starts to fall off. Yeah, keep if you taking go from, tissue tests. Yep. V7 to tassel, you're going to see, see stuff start to drop. So what we typically do with tissue tests, we don't even use it for foliar feeding, generally speaking. We will tissue test every week of the growing season, and we only do maybe a spot or two in a few of our fields each year. So it's not like it's that much work. But we, we record this, and then we see at the end of the season, okay, how did everything look? If we have a little blip where it's great, and yet everything else, every other test came in terrible, like on, let's just say, potassium, for example, then we go, oh, okay, I, we probably better address that potassium thing a little bit more. On the other hand, if it goes the other way, because you, you just never know, I mean, maybe everything is great, but on this one test, oh, it looked bad. This is one test, one day, so I don't put a lot of stock into it, honestly. I mean, yes, it's it's nice to have the information for that one day, but I would really like to see how are we doing over a period of time. So that's what I'm most interested in. But again, yeah, I, I can just I could show you some of our tissue tests from the last 20 years. At V7, things look pretty good, and I'm usually going, oh, yay, this is great, and we're smart, and we're the best farmers ever. And then by, by tassel, sometimes I go, oh, man, we're dumb. We're the worst farmers ever. This is terrible. How are we going to get any yield? So you got to look at how you're doing across everything, and then... And start working on some of those little issues. Okay, let me, let me give you a specific thing. Potassium is one that was the very first tissue test that we ever started pulling, the first year we ever did this. And we tested every week, and every single time it was deficient, 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 deficient. And then we started looking more at our soil tests and realizing, you know what, parts per million doesn't cut it. In a heavy soil, we got 15, 20, 25 cation exchange capacity. So we got a lot of heavier soils. And 200, I, I realized some of the labs and some of the universities at the time were saying, oh, 200. 
200 parts per million and you're good, you're high. And I'm going, well, then why are all my tissue tests showing terrible? To the point where, I mean, I could even see in the leaves we were having potassium deficiency. So that's wrong. You can't look at just parts per million or pounds per acre. You have to look at base saturation and you want to look at it on the soil test and you want to look at your tissue analysis to find out, all right, how, how are we really doing here? Because quite frankly, I don't care what any other expert says. I want to see how are we doing on our farm. And then the other thing we started doing is matching up all our soil test grid points and our soil tests with yield in those points. And then you charted it out and we just started doing this over the last few years, and still, even though we built our, our K up over the last 20 years, it still wasn't high enough. We still were showing, you know what, the higher the K levels, the higher our yield very consistently year after year. So it's like, all right, well, we'll keep on building, and it keeps on paying. So, I mean, it, it's all, you got to meld all this information and data together. I, we applaud you for getting started in this. Now keep her going. Keep going every week, keep going every year, start making some tweaks to your fertility program, and then uh, hopefully you're able to use all this to get higher yields and make more money on the farm. I know for our farm, it has helped a tremendous amount. Thanks, Mitch. We really appreciate it. Uh, I get this one from Ryan. First of all, Brian, he sent some pictures of weeds. They had some ground that laid fallow that they're they're trying to get something growing in here again. And he's just wondering if we recognize some of those weeds. Man, there are a lot of different species of weeds out there. Uh, Ryan said, yeah, they- I see they one up- that's giant ragweed here uh, where they've got a good close-up. Some of these, it's, it's pretty- um, Let's see. Not it's it's just a little blurry, and I can't I can't see. And yes, there are a lot. There are, of there are a lot weeds. of different species. So as, what's the question? As we'd, as we'd expect in fallow, and yep. and Ryan said, okay, we ended up uh, tilling things under here so we could start fresh, but we want to seed alfalfa and grass in a mixture for pasture. And I'm just wondering, would it be how would you go about doing that? Would it be drilling the seeds in, spreading them with a spreader or something else? Uh, just wondering what you would do in terms of uh, getting the seed in the ground. And then also, when would be the best time to seed it? We could still seed it now. We've got a neighbor that says now's the time to do it, but the others say wait till Wait, spring. where was this? Somewhere south. Uh, he doesn't say where. And that's <laughs> okay, the other so question that's here, the, right? that, that's the problem. We can't answer. I'm not even going to attempt. We can't answer for sure that question as to when to seed because we don't know where you're from. So, so we're, we're in we the north, and generally we would do it by August if we were going to seed it in the fall. That way we had enough time to establish a good root and crown and, and yeah. be safe yeah. so we could overwinter. But we have harsh winters here. And, and to do. Brian's point, we don't really know what your winters are like, so that that's definitely. Or if you have winter at all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we like to plant it in the early spring, so we get some spring rains because it gets hot here in the summer. Okay, two things I wanted to say. One, if you have a weedy mess like this, and I, sorry, I apologize to call it a mess, but let's just be honest, that's what it is. Uh, you can some do those, the tillage. Some of if those you want. weeds are going to come back in your crop. Yes, uh, but but here's where I was going with this. You can do tillage, but how many passes are you going to make? I, I mean, it looks to me like you're going to have to make several passes to get everything 
to do a fantastic job. What we used to do when we'd have guys that would have, let's say, prevent plant or something, is they'd go out with a quart of germoxone, a quart of 2,4-D, and a quart of crop oil and just burn everything down that way. So then you could do the tillage in one pass as opposed to three or four passes. So that was one of the things. As far as this alfalfa grass mixture and how you're going to seed it, we, we're always going to prefer that you actually seed it in the ground rather than spread it on the soil surface, try tilling it. You can do that if you want to, but either way, you want to pack it when you get done. For both grass seed and especially alfalfa seed, you have to have fantastic seed-to-soil contact or you're not going to get a real good stand. So yeah, we'd, we'd, do some, we'd use some kind of seeder, we'd pack it afterwards, and that's the direction we'd go. Now, I, I guess I better throw one last thing in, and we often talk about this on the show. You will be ahead to raise your alfalfa on part of the ground and your grass on part of the ground, the other part of the ground. That way you can do a better job controlling weeds. You can fertilize accordingly. Uh, you can you can manage each individual crop as it needs to be managed. The problem with doing mixtures of crops is now you're looking at, well, how do I kind of get the best of both worlds? So I want, to, I want the alfalfa to do well, but I want the grass to also do well. And there's no herbicide, well, other than buckterol, which doesn't kill a lot of weeds, that you can even use to kill weeds. Whereas if I had grass, I got a whole bunch of products I can use there. And alfalfa, um, I, I have something different that I could use over there. So I, I'm just trying to say, I, I, if it's me, I'm never going to seed a mixture of grass and alfalfa. I understand why people do it, but you can get more total tonnage of production if you raise them separately. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I got this one from Doug down in Iowa, and he said, I'm trying to decide whether or not to use seed firmers, specifically Keaton's, on my planter. This would be only for consistent seed placement, not for application of infer liquids on my farm. Have you discussed those in the past? I've heard pros and cons and a lot of different discussions out there and online, of course, and, and watched Keaton videos on YouTube. Yep. But just kind of curious what you think. I can give you pros and cons even off our own farm. So on some of our ground and in certain years, it's phenomenal. And I go, oh, man, this is great. And then um, we have wet years. We have sticky soil. We, ha we have issues. We have really variable ground here. Um, <laughs> so uh, let me just give you a little backstory. So our dad originally came from Iowa. He married our mom. They farmed in Iowa for a couple of years, and then they bought out my mom's parents here in South Dakota. Well, we kind of lucked out. We have a really nice location for where we're at and our, our operation and everything. We're right by a couple interstate highways. We're right by Sioux Falls, which is the largest town in the Dakotas. Yet we're out in the country. It's all great. Except for this, we have unbelievably variable soil. We got some sand. We got some super heavy ground. We've got some flat land uh, that's poorly drained. We have some really hilly ground. And so when you're dealing with those kind of conditions, it's hard to pick one thing like the Keaton seed firmer and say, oh, it's going to work on all my ground because it doesn't. And it doesn't work in every single year, at least for us. So I'm not saying Keaton's are bad. They, they are not. And you can make them work in a lot of cases. But I, I'm just saying it's not going to be absolutely perfect because of variability in the soil. And the biggest issue we had was when it was a wet year and or when we have super ridiculously heavy high magnesium soils. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Thanks to everybody who called in or sent questions in today as well. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.